the evidence of the eyewitness testimony within the Gospels is overwhelming. There is no doubt that the modern church in America has failed its people by not teaching them the earliest stages of church history. Apostolic succession paved the way to preserve the New Testament text. Ahsoka, within you will be everything I am. All the knowledge I possess. Just as I inherited knowledge from my master, and he from his. You are part of a legacy. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Facts. That clip at the end there may have been a spoiler for some, but you've had all week to watch the new Ahsoka episode, and that was the voice of Anakin Skywalker talking to Ahsoka. I won't give you the background of that just in case I spoiled some of it. I don't want to spoil all of it. But what he said there today is what I want to focus on because I think what he pointed out to us, even in a Jedi sense, is succession. That's what he was talking about to Ahsoka. The, the power, the knowledge that was in him has been instilled into her pass on, but that he himself was not the originator of this, that it goes back before him, his master before him and his master before that, this passing down of knowledge and power. He said, you're a part of a legacy. And that is in the definition of succession. And today we are taking a break from the different apostles that we've been going through, looking at their lives, their martyrdoms, and their ministries. And today we want to focus a little bit on how important it is to deal with the subject of succession, because I, I think that this gets overlooked way too much. Even at the beginning of my intro audio clips that I play, one of the last lines in most of them is apostolic succession, pave the way to preserve the New Testament text. And I don't just say that tongue-in-cheek. There is reality to that. It's our greatest offense of the text of the New Testament. Today, I actually want to dive into that a little bit more. We hint at it quite a bit, but I want to show both scripturally and historically that that is how these things were understood. And I, and I want to focus in particularly today on Tertullian, and looking at Tertullian's statements that he makes as a lawyer defending the Christian faith, though he grew up in Rome, he moved down to North Africa, there made legal cases for Christianity and the works that are generated within the apostolic churches and passed down through their succession lines. And that's what I want to focus on. One of the things that he stated was this in his writings, heretics not being Christians, but rather perverters of Christ's teachings, may not claim the, the scriptures from the Christians, or that being the Christian scriptures themselves. These are a deposit committed to and carefully guarded by the church. Now, there's so much to take apart here from the beginning. 
Uh, he refuses to recognize heretical sectarian groups as being true believers. We've gotten soft on this, I think, in many ways. Uh, we've become very loose on what we call Christian in our modern wording of Christianity because we want to have a an all-inclusive group that God accepts everybody. And we hope that no matter the error, that somehow, some way they end up in the kingdom of God, which again, I'm, I'm all for cheering for the better end of things. But at some point we have to draw lines and be very clear where scripture is clear. In groups that are heretics in the name of Christianity were never seen from the early stages as true Christians. They were sectarians. They broke off from the apostolic churches. They changed doctrine within it. They corrupted texts within it. And they were called to the carpet quite regularly from people like Tertullian uh, and Irenaeus and Clement and others. Uh, we see extensive writings. Uh, we're going to look at another one today talking about the corruption of his own text. And now if his texts were corrupted, how much more were they corrupting the scriptures themselves. So we see this in the earliest stages of the tradition of the church that the scriptures do not belong to the heretics. They have no rights over these scriptures. These are deposits that were left in the churches that were started by the apostles and they were left there to be carefully guarded and taught and protected and passed down to the next group of people in that church. The scriptures were not flippantly being passed around. This has to stop. This type of criticism against Christianity, against the early transmission of the text, that they were just accepting anonymous documents, is ridiculous. It, it did not happen that way. The churches were on high alert for forgeries that were coming in. They were on high alert for new documents that were coming in from heretical groups. And if it was not in the archives, or if you would, the depositing access of the churches, they were not welcomed in. There were occasionally some churches skeptical of some of the writings. We've, we've gone into all of those disputed texts of the New Testament, whether that be the books of 1 Peter, 2 Peter, or the pastoral epistles, or looking even at some places in Hebrews, which wasn't very much disputed, but in one place, the book of Revelation, which was not early dispute, but more later. We went into all of the reasoning, even some of the Johannine epistles and why. There were some red flags thrown up by some of the churches, and that is understandable given what was taking place and what was going on with the writers and from the region and individual writings versus corporate writings. We've gone through all of those reasonings, but when it came to the absolute heretical end of things, whether you're talking about the Gnostic texts or Martians' corruptions, which group ever came in and started deviating the current text or creating all new text, the churches were easily on guard 
because they had a point of reference. They had a comparison to demonstrate that these things were taking place in the church. They were carefully guarded. This isn't new. I mean, we see in the scriptures where Paul recognizes his own letters being corrupted. He talks to the Galatians about it. He talks to the Colossians about writing with his own signature. He tells the Thessalonian church, the church of Thessalonica, I write in my own hand and these signatures are done by me. Knowing that it's me, I want you to know you're not being lied to. You're not being corrupted. You're not being given into some forgery that's happening. He showed authenticity by his own signature. And then we also talked about the custody chain between the writer and the recipient, that there was a trusted carrier between A and B, and that there had to be names. That's why oftentimes there were names. So-and-so is with me, or your representative from this church is with me, and I'm sending them back to you. There was multiple chain of custody connections between original writer and the original recipient, where both people were being uh, cared for with trust and that there was mutual connection between them, that the letter was going to rightly make it to the proper place and people. We, we've mentioned that on numerous occasions in this program. But for today, this has been going on before Tertullian. Peter recognized corruption of the texts. N not just the Old Testament text, but he says that they were actually corrupting the text of Paul. And they were on guard for these things. Peter already knew of twisted interpretations and twisted writings within the Pauline corpus while he was still alive. The apostles were not ignorant of corruption. They were not ignorant of deviation. And we're going to see more examples of that where they put in place through their successors the passing on of instruction, texts, and works that they were giving by tradition, and that they themselves, their successors, should pass it on to faithful men. So we do see this. Tertullian writing against Marcion, who is corrupting predominantly Paul's letters and the Gospel of Luke, said this, I say this in my property. This is my property. <clears throat> I have long possessed it. I possessed it before you. <laughs> now, <laughs> he's uh, firing back at Marcion. Obviously, Irenaeus and Tertullian both do not care for Marcion nor his corruptions. Very harsh in their responses, and rightfully so. <clears throat> and the reason for that is because Marcion was... was bringing massive amount of textual issue, textual correction into the manuscript tradition. And they knew it. Again, they knew it. And so here he says, I have long possessed the truth here. And he goes on to make this statement. I possessed it before you. Well, how, how can he say that? How can he bring that into the argument? Well, it's quite simple. I hold sure title deeds from the original owners themselves. Oh, man. Um, think about the original deed to a house. The owners. 
whenever you're trying to, to go and find original ownership of a vehicle or a house or a property, you, you got to go back to the deed. And, and who has the deed? Now, in the business world that I work within, we, you know, family business sells a lot of diesel truck parts and so forth, but we've also sold vehicles and bought thousands of vehicles over my lifetime. And in the purchasing of those, you have a title. Well, on the back of the title, uh, the, the front of the title is inscripted with the owner, uh, the purchase, the year, the make, the model. And on the back, there are signature passings to one owner to the next. The original owner signs one section of the title. And on the other side of that, there is another section to be written by the new owner, the one who is purchasing it. And it goes down. Usually there's three or four sections where you can pass that title down to the next person. And you can follow the line of ownership from the original owner down to the current owner who is now going to sell it to the next guy. You have within your possession the original deed or title that the original owner had and passed on to the next individuals. And see what Tertullian is doing. And again, he's a lawyer. He's using legal terminology. He sees the New Testament texts as original deeds by the owners with their own signatures. That's what Paul is saying in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. I have written this in my own hand. He told the Colossians the same thing. He told the Galatians that he did it in big letters. He's writing to the churches and he's saying, this is my original signature. You have the original autograph initial text from me. And that text was guarded and transmitted by the churches who were rightfully given them as a deposit. And so when Tertullian holds the text of Paul that Marcion was corrupting, he says, I have the proper documentation that Marcion doesn't. Marcion is starting a new work. My works are older because I have been entrusted with the original title deeds from the owners themselves. The apostolic texts are in the possessions of the churches that have far outlived Marcion's new readings of Paul and Luke. Why? Because who, who is given the possession? Do you have it? So, it's no good to have the title if the car doesn't match it. You have a VIN number. Uh, that VIN number reflects a vehicle. The vehicle and the title together are always the lock and the key. If you have a title that has a different VIN number from the car, it does you no good. If you have a car that is different from the description on the title, it does you no good. And, and what he is doing is he's using a similar, and I'm obviously using a modern example, but he's using a similar property example of legal time in the second century. He says, to whom the estate belonged. Well, what's he talking about? The churches. These are Paul's churches, Paul's letter. You've got the vehicle and the title with the matching VIN. Marcion is outside that realm. He's not in the Pauline church. 
He has corrupted the Pauline letter. He has left the true church to do this. And therefore he has a title, but a mismatched VIN number, if you would. And that's what Martian is coming after, or that's what Martian is being attacked on by Tertullian here, is that you don't have older succession connections. I possess the title and deeds from the original owners themselves in their original state. I have the deed to the property and the property, the church. You don't, Marcion. I am an heir of the apostles. Why? Because he's in the succession lines. He's with the successors and not far from them. Just as they carefully prepared their will and testament and committed it to a trust and adjured the trustees to be faithful to their charge, even so do I hold it. Well, is that true? D did, did the apostles carefully prepare their, their will and testaments in these documents and commit them to the trust of the church? Hmm. Let's see. First, Corinthians, uh, First Timothy, excuse me, chapter 6, verse 20. Notice what Paul says to his successor. By the way, who is seen as the first leader there as uh, a successor of Paul, the Pauline succession line in the church at Ephesus. We know later John went there and continued succession as well. But even before John, there was already succession lines being passed through Pauline apostolic succession. He says, oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Well, what's he talking about? He said, well, it was, the, it was the gospel message. Okay, sure. In what form? He said, well, it's oral. Yeah, I would agree with that. Definitely. <laughs> But it was both, oral and written. You see, this text that he's even writing to Timothy is one of the things that is being deposited to him. These are not just verbal instructions, though he has received those from Paul on many occasions in his travel. But now he has received a written legal document. A deposit that's not through the ear only, but a deposit that is in written form, a legal document. See, the texts of the New Testament were legal documents. They were illegal in the Roman Empire from that sense. They're legal in the sense of binding. That's why they're referred to as a covenant. You have the old covenant and the new covenant. The texts are representatives of the covenant agreement between God through Jesus and his disciples and the church they began. Christ entrusted them with his words and they were put to the publication of texts. He says, avoid irre irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. In his second letter to Timothy, he states, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. There it is, the verbal tradition. In the faith 
and the love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me among whom Phygelus and Hermogenes. Well, what happened? Individuals in the Pauline lifetime were deviating and turning away from the true doctrine. And by the Holy Spirit, he's calling Timothy to guard the deposit entrusted to him in the church because others did not. There is a succession. Later in the same book, in verse 2 of chapter 2, and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to pass them on to others. This teaching, this line of gift giving and hands on head, Timothy had the hand of Paul placed on him. He talks about that. Timothy was given the right hand of Paul's fellowship. But not just, not just to bless him and pray over him. No, 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 no. It, it was more than that. He was entrusting him with a deposit. And that is what Tertullian is talking about. These things are meant to be taken to war, to fight against error. And the texts were able to be the weaponry. Think about what Paul said to Timothy as well in 1 Timothy 1. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may war, Wage war, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. And then he mentions others like Hymenaeus and Alexander who, who are handed over to Satan so that they learn not to blaspheme against him. The texts were entrusted because they were being corrupted. Peter saw it. Paul saw it. Paul signed his signature, sealing that title and deed to the church, passes it on to his successors like Timothy. And we'll see other examples as well. We shouldn't be surprised by this. Even very early on, Eusebius speaks of Dionysius of Corinth, who remembering Clement of Rome, who is a successor also of Peter and Paul, and how the churches even had his letter. And we're reading it publicly. Eusebius reports to us in this same epistle, he makes mention being Dionysius. That Dionysius makes mention of Clement's epistle to the Corinthians, which is First Clement. Showing that it has been the custom from the beginning to read it in the church. His words are as follow. Today we have passed the Lord's holy day in which we have read your epistle. From it, wherever we read it, we shall always be able to draw advice as 
from the former epistles, which were written to us through Clement. And so what Eusebius is telling us is that Dionysius even remembered a time where people were reading the letter of first Clement, but then Dionysius goes on to report that people were corrupting his own letters. And his, his point was this, if, if they're corrupting mine, how much more are they corrupting the scriptures? Mine being lesser writings are being corrupted. How much the greater writings? But do you see that Clement's letter to the churches as being a successor, writing instructions to the current church at Corinth, was also being read in the churches publicly for, notice what he says, good advice. See, the letters of the apostles were obviously read in church as scripture. And then there were additional public readings that were meant to be advisories, warnings. Why? Why would they read Clement in church? He's not, he's not an apostle. Why not just read the Bible and nothing else, so to speak, as we say in a lot of our churches today? Well, because who is Clement? Why are they reading him on Sunday? By the way, I really just want to pause here for just a few seconds and jump on a little hobby horse. I don't like the idea that we read scripture only in church. I'm not saying we just read anything. That wasn't the practice of the early church. Do you realize that they read scripture and other historical writings? Uh, they read scripture in the Old Testament, but also the apocryphal works as wisdom and instruction even though many of them did not see them as scripture. They read New Testament texts of the apostles and Clement and others. Why? Why read Clement? Why read Polycarp to the Philippians? Because it's who they were and who they knew. You say, well, what do you mean? Shall I continue with Tertullian's argument? He said, well, why are you bringing Dionysius of Corinth into this? Why are you bringing in his mention of Clement's letter bill being read in the churches and that their letters are also being corrupted? Well, here's why. And by the way, we have manuscripts with Clement at the very end of it, like Alexandrina's, 5th century. It's at the end for a reason. It wasn't put in with the other scriptures. And I know that some have made the, oh, that's because they believed it was, uh, some sort of scripture and it belonged in the canon. That's not why these letters are at the end. There's also manuscripts with the shepherd of Hermas and the epistle of Barnabas. These letters were not in there because they believe they were canon. That is a huge jump. Eusebius through Dionysius is trying to tell us what's going on. These writings were there for instruction and advice. Why? Well, here's why. Let, let me explain it through Tertullian. But if there be any heresies which are bold enough to plant themselves in the midst of an apostolic age, that they may thereby seem to have been handed down by the apostles, meaning there's documents that are coming in in the apostolic age that are claiming to be from the apostles because they existed in the time goes back to the apostles. But again, we just 
learn that Paul knew corruptions were happening and Peter knew corruptions were happening while they were still alive. We can say, let them produce the original records of their churches. Let them unfold the role of their bishops running down in due succession from the beginning in which the manner that the first bishop of theirs should be able to show from his ordainer and predecessor, some of the apostles of the apostolic men. Let me pause. What's he saying? He's going back to the illustration I'm going to use again of the title. The title, the original title had Paul's name on it. I'm going to use Paul. He's our example today. Paul gave the title to Timothy, the successor. Paul gave the title to people like Clement of Rome, as did Peter. John gave the letters to his successors, like people like Polycarp and Ignatius and Papias. They handed the text down to the successor. So, using my illustration of the car in the title, line one, the Apostle Paul hands this to, line two, Timothy. Clement. Whoever. There's multiple. That's the beauty of this. It's not just one. Let's take the examples we have here of Clement. Because that's the one being used by Dionysius of Corinth. You have Clement of Rome using First Clement in his writing to the church at Corinth. Same way Paul did. He references that letter. Paul has a letter to Corinth. He entrusts that to the church. That same church gets a letter from a successor of Paul. Dionysius is in that church that Paul started as a leader. He has the record of the apostle and the successor. Referencing both and that both are being used. Reminding us that the churches are following bishop succession. And that in this succession, you find that a record has been now passed on. So let's just put this way, and I'm going to skip a few years. So, so bear with me for example's sake. There's other names that are less significant, but they're there. But let's just skip some and focus on the examples of today. Paul, on the succession line, on the title deed, hands not only the paper, but the car. He's got the title and the car with the same VIN number. You have the text. And the successor, the person, the person and the text are still connected. He hands it to Clement, who hands it down to his next successor. Or in this case, we see in Corinth, the leaders of Corinth pass it all the way down to the succession lines we see with Dionysius. And it's passed on and it's passed on and it's passed on. And the names on that title, you can trace it. This is what Tertullian is saying. You think you got a text from the apostolic age just because it has an apostle's name on it? Check the VIN number. Does the VIN number on that text match the property of the text? The car. Does the card VIN and the title VIN match? And what, what Tertullian is doing is saying it doesn't match. It doesn't match. See, he's saying we can match them. 
we have the original owners signatures, so to speak, in the text themselves that are deposited in the churches they started, the car or the land, whichever illustration you're using for the title deed. We have the names of those who were given permission and entrusted with to keep moving them, i.e. Clement, Polycarp, Dionysius, Tertullian, Irenaeus, Papias, etc., List all the names you want. They have succession lines. We have succession lines given to us by Eusebius. We have succession lines mentioned by Irenaeus. Tertullian mentioned succession lines. We're about to see one. We have Hegesippus. We have multiple succession lines that have been given to us through antiquity. Even Hippolytus of Rome put together his illustrated pass down of the 70, so to speak, that were going on in Luke's gospel. We have the lists. Now, Within this, he gives examples. Let me read. For this is the manner in which the apostolic churches transmit their registrations as the church of Smyrna, which records Polycarp being placed there by John, as also the church of Rome makes, here he is, Clement, to have been ordained in like manner by Peter. In the exact same way, and by the way, it was Peter and Paul, but Peter being the one that actually gave him succession to Rome. Which, by the way, little snip bit there. The fact that it was Peter that was able to do that in Rome is because Rome was considered Peter's churches, not Paul's. However, that was last episode. Go back and listen to that. In exactly the same way, the other churches likewise exhibit their several worthies, whom, having been appointed to their episcopal places by the apostles, they regard as transmitters of the apostolic seed. Let the heretics contrive something of this manner. For after their blasphemy, what is there is unlawful for them to attempt. But should they even affect to bring about this, they should advance a step. For their very doctrine, after comparison to the apostles, which we would declare, by its own diversity and by its own author, neither an apostle nor an apostolic man, because of the apostles, would never have taught things which were self-contradictory. So the ap apostolic men would not have incalculated teaching differences from the apostles unless they had received the instruction from the apostles themselves and preached it in a contrary manner. What is all that saying? This, this summary, here it is, summary. If you can't trace the text to the titled deed of the bishops that were entrusted with the text, and you can't follow the line of succession back to the church they started and the men that were in those churches that they left there, i.e. Clement and Polycarp, or in our case, we've been talking about Timothy today. If you cannot trace the text to the property deed and the property together, signature, document, and the land, or in our illustration, the car, and the VIN numbers don't match, and the names on the titles aren't succession, and you can't show by the records, show by the archives, the succession names on the back of the title, then you don't have a legitimate text. That, that, is what Tertullian is talking about. It doesn't work in our legal system. Good luck trying to take a title to the DMV and saying, hey, I have a title and a car and the VIN numbers don't match. Or you cannot trace the previous owner signing it over to you. See, this happens all the time. I've seen it with my own eyes. Uh, we have to go through a 
whole process when a person's name was on a title and didn't sign it over properly to the next person. The DMV doesn't say, oh, well, all's forgiven. We'll just take it and go with it. No, they have to find the last signature and see if they approved a sale because the car could have been stolen. And a lot of times that's how they catch thievery. I've seen that too. I've seen people arrested over stolen vehicles who try to move titles into their name without going to the original owner, signing it over. There has to be succession, a passing down and a signature to do it. The apostolic churches work the same way. It was hand on head from one leader to the next that can be backtracked to the apostle in full chain succession. The, the chain of custody and succession where this person handed it off to this person and this person, and it was in the same original church, just like that car was passed on to that person and it was signed over to that person. And it's the same car and the same text. That is what we're learning from Tertullian here. And it needs to be understood. This, this is the beauty of protection Apostolic succession, whether you believe it in it or not, you're, you're a Baptist or a Presbyterian that doesn't follow Bishop Prick, whatever. Whatever your current model is for believing in succession line, you have to at least accept this, that the early succession line of passing on documents saved and preserved the New Testament text from the corruptions of Marcion and Gnostic Gospels and other texts and epistles with the apostles' names on them that were flooding and infiltrating the churches. I hope you see that. This idea, folks, that, that anonymous writers were just pushing some sort of text through the church and they were just like, oh yeah, we like these. We're going to pick them. We're going to bring them in and make them our own because these really cool groups of people, we don't know who they are, but you know, we just took them in and we just called them our gospels and we're going to ascribe some Christian names and, and, and apostles' names on them, even though two of the gospels aren't even eyewitnesses. Why would, where would you put Mark and Luke on there? But we're going to put them on there anyway. We're going to call it the gospel of Mark and the gospel of Luke and, and, uh, and attribute these others to Matthew and John. Why not? Even though Matthew wasn't one of the inner three apostles, it'd be better to put Peter or James's name on him. But hey, you know, we're going to do that anyway. We're going to accept them. We're going to call them our four gospels. We're not going to let any other ones in, even though we don't know their provenance. We don't know their origin. We don't know where they came from. And then we get to the churches here in the second century and we find them expelling and expelling and expelling and expelling more and more documents that come in with apostles names. But boy, at the beginning, they just took anything in and just put and ascribe names on it while rejecting all others. That is a conspiracy theory. It's incredible how Christianity gets accused of conspiracy theories quite frequently. It takes a greater conspiracy to undo what, and by the way, Irenaeus speaks to the same exact, we're just focusing on Tertullian today, but Irenaeus speaks to the same thing. Hegesippus going through the succession line all the way to the to Church of Jerusalem. It's a conspiracy. And it doesn't match historical criteria. It doesn't match what the churches were practicing at that time. It is the second century that gets accused of ascribing the Gospels their names. And yet when we look at the churches and what was happening at that same time that they're getting accused of ascribing names, they're telling you the bipolar opposite and that they're practicing the bipolar opposite of their texts. And it goes against 
a hundred years before where Paul had already set up what Paul was doing with Timothy. And there's other, there's other examples. We're, we're just sticking with Paul and Tertullian today. What they were doing in those texts in the sixties is exactly what they're doing in the middle of the, in the end of the second century. And what we're supposed to believe is somewhere in between the rules got changed and then they changed them back. Whereas Tertullian is showing you, I can show you consistency over the last hundred years. Not changes, not modifications. All changes and modifications were called out and thrown out. We have the apostles' text. Where? In the apostles' churches. Do we have record of those churches? Yes. Do we have succession lines of bishops that are in those churches? Yes. What were they using? What did they practice? What did they use? See, this, this, this is how we do canonical text. This is how we, this is how we work through a canonical conundrum. Here, this is the base. This is the line. This is the chain of custody we have to follow if we're going to get the answers. And as we started the program with Anakin's statement to Ahsoka, I think of the apostles to their successors and their successors handing it on, and them handing it on, and them handing it on. For the fun of it, let's play that clip one more time. Let's hear what it says. Ahsoka, within you will be everything I am, all the knowledge I possess, just as I inherited knowledge from my master and he from his. We're part of a legacy. We're part of a legacy. I inherited this from my master, him from his master, and so forth and so on. And, and we're, in a, we're in something bigger than ourselves. We are in a legacy that's passed on this knowledge, this truth. And that is exactly what Tertullian's doing. That's what Irenaeus was doing. So thank you, Star Wars, for teaching us, again, another example of succession. And in this case, apostolic succession. Well, once again, thanks again for tuning in and letting us take a break from the apostles uh, and their series and talk about apostolic succession. I thought it was really neat watching the episode on Tuesday night, which, by the way, was one of the best episodes that has been put out in years from anything Star Wars. And uh, if you missed that, sorry if I spoiled it a little bit, but hopefully it'll cause you to just go watch it. So, uh, again, thanks for tuning into this program. As always, you are great listeners, and I have received so much feedback uh, from the previous episodes and, and really positive feedback, too. I haven't had much negative, and just the encouragement for putting the works out, it keeps me motivated to go to do new ones. But thanks again for tuning in. May God bless you. Grace and peace to you. <laughs>